Last Sunday, when Camden, my son, wanted to talk about baseball during the children's moment, instead of talking about my favorite theologians, you might have thought that I was disappointed. On the contrary, that was the one of the proudest dad moments I've had over the last eight and a half years. You see, baseball is part of my family's DNA. If you were to take out a chunk of my family's DNA genetic code, you would find it bound together with red stitching, peanuts, and Cracker Jacks. When my wife and I were dating, we went to more baseball games at Oriole Park at Camden Yards than I can count. Camden Yards. That's right. We didn't name our son after a city in New Jersey. No, our son Camden is named after the greatest baseball stadium in all of the world. Our two children will choose a baseball game, a day at the ballpark, over a movie theater or video games when they're given the choice. Opening day at Oriole Park at Camden Yards and, unfortunately, at National Stadium are holidays in our homes. Like many, I grew up idolizing Cal Ripken Jr. To this day, there are times when I will wear Cal Ripken Jr. socks to church. He's the greatest, right? If I want to be the greatest, I can wear his socks. Not the socks he actually wore, okay? Let's be honest. That would be kind of gross. It's just a picture. But anyways. The night that Cal Ripken Jr. tied Lou Gehrig's record for consecutive games played, and the following night when he broke that record. That was the first time in my childhood that I was allowed to stay up past my bedtime to watch a baseball game. I have both games recorded on a VHS tape somewhere in our garage. I went to Cooperstown when Cal Ripken Jr. and Tony Gwynn were inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I sat in the VIP section alongside Orioles greats like Brady Anderson and Cal Ripken's extended family. There is just the right amount of signed memorabilia in our home to keep me on the right side of the first of the Ten Commandments. So, when a member of Mount Olivet told me about a podcast investigating a rumor of a possible cover-up to extend the consecutive games played record, one of the greatest moments of my childhood. I had to listen. Our scripture reading today is a continuation of Paul's larger systematic theology of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. We began with this theology last week. We're continuing it this week, and it will conclude next week. There were doubts in Corinth, rumors about whether or not Jesus Christ was raised from the dead after he had been nailed to the cross. There was another side to this Corinthian controversy, another side to the doubts and rumors. While many in Corinth believed Jesus Christ to be risen, some within the Corinthian church doubted their own resurrection or the resurrection of those who had died before Christ returned. The Apostle Paul wrote, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If for this life only we have hope in Jesus Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was not open for negotiations with the Apostle Paul. Paul, you'll remember, had a life-altering encounter with the risen Messiah along the road to Damascus. Paul was knocked off his horse. He was blinded. Paul's life changed along that road. He went from persecutor of the church to champion of the church. He would never be the same. Because of his Damascus Road experience, Paul had a sense of urgency in his writing. And this same urgency lives within the church today. Because, as Paul put it, if the resurrection of Jesus, if the resurrection of the dead were not true, then the proclamation of the church is in vain. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if the resurrection of the dead were not to be true, you all are wasting your time this morning. You could be at brunch. You could be sleeping in. If the resurrection of Jesus were not true, then our faith has been in vain, and we are of all people most to be pitied. For Paul, everything stands and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the general resurrection of the dead. The disbelief, the rumors, the doubts, the cover-ups among the Corinthian church runs contrary to what Paul experienced along the Damascus Road. The disbelief within the Corinthian church is a thumb in the eye to Paul's own theology, to his witness, to his proclamation, to his own experience. Central to Paul's argument is that if Jesus has not been risen, if the resurrection of the dead is not God's promised victory over the pain and power of death, then we, the church in Corinth and the church today, are pitiful sinners with nothing to believe in. If it's true that it did not happen, we should skip over the confession later in our service. We should save the time so we could go do something else this morning. Without the resurrection of the dead, the witness, according to Paul, of the church, our witness is dead. I've listened to four out of six of what could be childhood crushing podcast rumors, speculation, and circumstantial evidence. Podcast that's one part true crime investigation and one part Jerry Springer special. The domino effect from this well-meaning church person's recommendation could result in catastrophe. I fell in love with baseball right before the steroid era of the game. Players like Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, and Jose Canseco looked more like professional WWF wrestlers than outfielders. They cheated. They cheated to make more money. They cheated to win records, and they cheated for notoriety. But I've always had Cal Ripken Jr. 
I've always had the Iron Man, a player described as a munch pail player, meaning he showed up to the ballpark day after day because it was his job, because he loved the game and there was nothing else he'd rather be doing. This is how the, his legend grew. We were all able to connect with the Iron Man in the 90s. All of us were trying to do our best at work. Well, most of you were trying to do your best at work. I was in sixth grade trying to do my best in sixth grade. You all were trying to support yourselves and your families. We were striving to love our neighbors, even those neighbors that we cannot stand. At times, even if you didn't like baseball and wrongly thought it was a ridiculous game, people found themselves pausing to tip their hats to the Iron Man. And if this streak is not valid, then all of the dominoes fall. A heroic story is for nothing. It's in vain. And fans like me are to be pitied. Paul wrote, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Jesus Christ. The very last enemy to be destroyed is death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead assures us an affirmation of the whole life of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ offers us hope when we cannot see the fruits of our own labors today. This is an affirmation of every single human life, an affirmation of our hope placed in the news that our sins really are forgiven. A place at Christ's table of grace is prepared for us. It is prepared for that neighbor we cannot stand. And that the anxieties of this life caused by the pain of death do not hold the final words. Sin and death do, will not win. Paul is making an argument. He's not relying on testimony from the tomb. Paul's letter to the Corinthians was written well before our Gospels were written. So that testimony will come later for the church. For Paul, not having seen the empty tomb himself, he's not relying on rumor or speculation. Paul knows that that tomb is empty because of the fact that Jesus Christ is resurrected. And because Christ is risen, we too can live with the hope given in the fact that the same resurrection is assured to us, to all of creation through the grace that goes before us, the grace that overcomes any rumor to the contrary, and the grace that forgives the rumors, according to Paul, are false. Christ is risen, and so shall we. Amen.